handwritten. It's not inkjet printed with making it look. It's really, truly handwritten. And then it's addressed to you, and at the top you're like, oh my goodness, I know that person. It's a personal letter to you, and you know what? When we see that, we get excited. What we're looking at this morning is a letter. And it's a letter from, from Paul, and I tell you what, the way he goes and begins this letter, I mean, it makes you want to just sit down and read the whole thing. And, and have you ever opened up the letter and you're like, man, do I have time to read it or not? Because you want to sit down, you want to soak it in, you want to see what this person has to say to you, don't you? And you open it up and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a novel, this is great. And you wait for that moment to, so you can sit down and really soak it in. Well, if you started reading the beginning words of this letter of Romans that Paul writes, you would not be able to set it down. Look how he begins this letter. He goes, Paul, it's great. He lets you know who it's from right from the get-go. You don't have to go to the last page. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit, of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. If you would read on a few more verses later in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous shall live by faith. Man, that just that makes you want to keep reading, doesn't it? And if you haven't read Romans this week, I'd encourage you to read it. It is a powerful letter. And we get this powerful letter from, from Paul, but we, we have to remember it wasn't too long ago that, well, this, this Paul was named Saul. This apostle who is writing this powerful letter was, well, once Saul the persecutor. We see that on the Damascus Road. Paul is, or Saul at that time, is passionate about persecuting those of the way. That's what Christians were called early on. And he's on the road to Damascus with letters to go and persecute the church all the more. And it's on this road that Jesus decides, I'm going to introduce myself. 
And in a blinding light, Jesus comes to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul is blinded by that light, and it's amazing that in being blinded, Saul is finally able to see. He's able to see the truth and see clearly who Jesus Christ is. The promised Messiah. I mean, imagine that. And, and as the, the pages of Acts unfold, as Saul will, or Paul will share his story time and time again in some of the letters that he writes to the churches, we realize and see that he was mentored. Kind of hard to picture the amazing Apostle Paul being mentored. He was first mentored by Ananias. Can you imagine God coming to Ananias and saying, hey, Ananias, I want you to come along, Saul. You mean the guy that's killing us? Yeah, come alongside of him. Teach him, comfort him. Comfort him? There was a conversation, read it in Acts. And Ananias comes along and he mentors him. Later on, Barnabas would take him under his wing. Oh, we need Barnabases in the church. But he would take this Saul under his wing. We see that, that Saul would spend time with, with Jesus Christ. And we see him beginning to serve in his local church. There in Antioch, Saul is serving in his local church. And from that church, he and Barnabas would start to go out and have these mission journeys. Three of them. And it was in those times that, that Saul's name would be changed to Paul. We would see this man who once persecuted the church being a powerful proponent of the message of Jesus Christ. It was towards the end of that third journey that he would take. He's in the town or the city of Corinth. And he decides to sit down and write a letter to those saints in Rome. Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire. And there he pens this letter of Romans that we're going to be looking at. Phoebe, the one who actually took this letter to Rome, she's there and most likely already taking a trip to Rome. And Paul was most likely seizing the opportunity of her travels there to say, I'm going to write a letter. And as we look at this, this letter that he writes, we realize these words of Scripture are given to us. That's right. The letter he writes that we're looking at today is Scripture. Scripture. The Word of God. We, we become so familiar with that. We, we call the Scriptures that. We call it the Word of God. We come, we call it the Bible. And, and the, the Greek, well, they would call it logos, the logos, the word. I, I love doing this, but it's a simple thing. I want you to put your mouth up in front of your face. Don't worry, everybody next to you is going to do it too, okay? And just say, the word. How many of you felt the breath? Yeah. I love that. Because as we come and we see the word given to us. We realize that this word is 
God breathed. As God would share his heart with us in, in a way that we could have, understand, he gives his, he speaks to us, he gives utterance, and we have it captured in written form. Aren't you glad? For generation after generation, we have that. And we need to understand there's a difference between author and writer. God Almighty is the author of His Word. He is the author, but He used men to write it down, to convey His message to us. And God uses those men in giving us His Word, utilizing I love this, their style. Do you realize as you read the different letters in the New Testament, we begin to see their style. My goodness, you can read something and go, oh, that's Peter. Or, hmm, that is definitely Dr. Luke. I could spot that in a, in a heartbeat. Or, hmm, yeah, that's Paul. And as we come, we see their style, their personality, their temperament come through. Aren't you glad that when God uses you, he doesn't look at you and say, okay, all of you at Grace Bible Church, you have to have the style, the personality, and temperament of Pastor Jed. That would be scary. Nathan's agreeing with me. God uses you, who you are to minister, to share his word. And he did the same with these men. I, I love what, what Peter has to say. Look at Peter. Peter, oh, now we, we can't go too much into Peter, but listen to what he says in, in 2 Peter. He's writing, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He's talking about how the scriptures came to us. You go and you look, and, and Paul writes to Timothy, oh, the man that he gets to mentor. Being mentored, and now in ministry, he's mentoring this young man, and he writes to Timothy, and he says, all Scripture, in 2 Timothy, by the way, 3.16, there we go. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for teaching and righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. The very words of God, the scripture, is inspired not from man's intellect, not from man's wisdom, but inspired by God. Peter would write later in that same letter that we looked at, he would write this, in chapter 3, verse 14, begins, Therefore, beloved, since you look at these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul. Oh, Peter's talking about Paul. According to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. We're going to grapple with some of the things that Paul is writing and, and sharing in those letters. 
But listen to what Peter says. Which the untaught and unstable distort. We're going to be careful not to do that. As they do also the rest of the scriptures. Peter here is recognizing the very words, the letters that Paul has written as scripture. And we come to the letter that he writes to the Romans and we understand that the authority that is there is scripture. The things in which we are reading are from God. I want you to understand that because there's going to be times where it sounds very personal. We're going to see Paul's personality emerge. And this letter's written later on, but my goodness, you look at some of his earlier ones, and you could tell he was a younger man. You listen to some of my sermons, please don't, when I was younger. Oh my goodness, you guys were so gracious towards me. But you know what? We, we see the maturing and the personal nature. We're going to see recipients and see that they're people going through struggles like you and I go through as we go through these letters that are Scripture, the inspired Word of God. And each time we're going to open up that letter, we're going to look at it, if I can open the envelope, and we're going to open it up. I hope you take time to open up these letters that we're looking at. But when we do... Each one is going to have a very similar layout. There's going to be the salutation. I love that in these letters, you don't have to go to the very end to figure out who wrote it or who it's to. Right at the beginning, they tell us that. I don't know when we changed that, but that would be very helpful. And then we get the content. As we read through it, we see the purpose of that letter, maybe to encourage, maybe to correct. Maybe there's issues that need to be dealt with, but the letter deals with that, and then it closes with some amazing greetings. And so often, I remember when I was young in my faith, I would come to the greetings, and I'm like, oh, that's boring, and I would just skip it. Oh, my goodness, some of the greatest meat and, and truths of, of, of body living is found in those greetings. And we're going to go through those letters. We're going to find that. The letter we're looking at today is titled Romans. And, and as we, we go through this, it's, it's important for us to understand some, some things about the letter right up front. And so as we go through the letters, I'm going to be putting up a slide that gives us some, some basic information about each letter. You know, yeah, that one. Yeah. Oh, you got a sneak peek. That's all right. And, and we, we, we look at the basic information of the letter, and here's why. Because in order for us to have a proper hermeneutics of looking at and studying these letters and studying the scripture, we have to understand the setting. We have to understand the audience and the framework in which it was written in. And when we do, we have a better understanding of what God is trying to convey, and we can apply it to your life, my life, in a much more accurate and powerful way. 
And so I want to take time each of the, the weeks that we come to these letters looking at some key information about the letter. First and foremost, this is from Paul. And the next few letters that we go through are going to be from Paul. But this one is written to the saints who are in Rome. It's not mentioned that it's in the church or a particular church. It's the saints. It's going to circulate through all the different churches that are there. It's, it's written in about 57 A.D. It's important, and we'll see on this timeline where these letters were written in what time frame. But this one is written right at the end of that third missionary journey, just before God is going to bring about the opportunity for Paul's fourth missionary journey. But in 57 A.D. approximately, and I know some of you are looking at these dates and going, well, my notes and my Bible down below say a different date. You know what? They're all approximate. I had to choose something. So these are the dates I, I went with. And he writes this letter. And, and here's some things. Make note, there's believers in Rome. Paul hasn't been there yet. Peter hasn't been there yet. How do we find believers, saints, in this capital city? Well, if you recall, back to Pentecost. Remember when Peter preached that powerful sermon and thousands trusted Christ? Well, some of them were from Rome and they went back. They didn't keep it to themselves. They began to share. So Paul in his letter is introducing himself and I'm sure they, they heard of him as people would come and go from Rome. But he's also giving instruction. It's a letter of instruction, and this is probably his, his least personal letter. It's very systematic in how it is presented, which I love because I love outlines. Romans is so easy to outline. But just because it's a systematic approach, don't miss his heart. I mean, my goodness, in the opening verses, you should have seen his heart. Paul is, is expounding on, on the letter that he wrote to the believers over in Galatia. That's right, Romans is not Paul's first letter. He's written others. But this one comes first, and, and I believe because it's so foundational. In, in what we believe and what is taught from all the other letters that we have in the New Testament. The teaching we find here. Paul's dictating this letter. He's not actually scribing it himself. In fact, he says that in chapter 16, verse 22. It's uh, Tertius. I think that's how you pronounce his name. But he's the one penning it. And he even gives a little side note of his greetings to the saints there. But Paul is dictating this to have him write it. And he lays out the depth of the gospel in a powerful way. Look at, look at how, how this, this book is just overviewed a little bit. We don't have a lot of time, but we have a lot of ground to cover. And I want to just hit the highlights for you and, and show you that systematic approach. In this letter, God is offering the gift of his righteousness. Make note of that, not our righteousness, 
his righteousness to you and I. That, that righteousness offered to unjust sinners. Receiving a right standing, think about that. Through his righteousness, we receive a right standing before a holy and just God. Not because we deserve it, but because he extends his righteousness to us. Being justified, being in line with God. Amazing. And this book goes into the depth of it. It's offered to all who come to Christ in faith. Romans is written to reveal God's sovereign plan of salvation and how he unfolds that to us to show how Jews and Gentiles, this was an issue of the day, but how Jews and Gentiles fit into that plan of salvation and he challenges them to live in righteous, harmonious lives together as the body of Christ. Body, singular. God's plan of salvation transitions throughout the book from condemnation. It's interesting, in order for us to fully understand this, we need to understand how condemned we were in our sin. And it goes from condemnation to glorification, from positional truth, which is at the front end of that letter, to practical truth. We'll get into that later. The introduction, as we already looked at, is a powerful introduction, and it just draws us to want more, doesn't it? How many of you, as you were reading that, just kind of kept your page there and kept reading? You're like, wow, it's just amazing. And, and the second part there begins to go into sin, and it looks at your sin, it looks at my sin. It, it demonstrates the righteousness that had to be demanded by God. Think about that. And it's not fun to look at our sin. It's not fun to look at my heart. As you sit there, it's not fun to look at your heart, I'm sure. But God's righteousness demands our need for His righteousness. Not our own. We have none in ourselves. Romans talks about that. And he extends it to Gentiles, Jews, and all humanity. You know why? Because the verdict is in. You're guilty. I'm guilty. Saul, uh, Saul, no, Paul. Paul moves on to salvation. Declaring our righteousness before God. Not because of us, but because of what he's done. He goes into the justification needed, and he illustrates it beautifully with Abraham. Paul goes back all the way to Abraham looking there, but not only to Abraham, he gives a wonderful argument on the first Adam and the second Adam. The second Adam being Jesus Christ, coming and doing what the first Adam could not and then there's sanctification. I appreciate sanctification. So much that's described here. Righteousness defended. We are, we are given the righteousness of God at the point of salvation, but there's the working out of it. This section deals with our, our victory, our liberty, and our security. 
If you're struggling with any of those, read that section. Actually, just read the whole letter. It's far better. But in there, it deals with that and beautifully illustrates the ongoing work of the sanctification process in your life and mine. And I hope that as you sit here this morning, I hope that as I stand here before you this morning, that the sanctification process is moving forward in your life. That it's not stagnant. The fifth section there is, is sovereignty. And this is, a, this is a sad section, honestly, of, of Romans to read. Paul goes into the righteousness decline, pushed away. As he reflects on his, his own people, the Jews... And in Israel's past riches, he looks back, he says, God chose you, he loved you, he wanted you, and you rejected him. He looks at Israel's present rejection, but he also looks ahead, and this is beautiful, to Israel's future restoration. We'll see that fully in Revelation when we get there. And then... Section 6 deals with righteousness demonstrated. We're going to talk about this in greater detail in just a moment. But it deals with our duties and our liberties as the body of Christ, as the church. And honestly, this section is probably the difficult section of Romans. When you get to this, you're like, oh, I like the front part better. We all do. There's interactions with the church body, talking about your interactions with each other, our, our interactions in society, and then our interactions with the weaker brother or sister. And you know what? Those interactions can get messy. They can get hard. Think about your interactions with those three categories, with other believers, Society, and that weaker brother or sister. Maybe you're that weaker brother or sister engaging with those who are coming alongside and mentoring and encouraging you. And then that last part, the greetings. Oh, if you take time to read that this week, don't miss that section. It's personal. It's real. In fact, it's so personal and real that, that scholars, when they came to that last part, they're like, mm, I'm not sure Paul wrote this. Because all of a sudden, he's going from a very systematic, theological approach, and then all of a sudden, he gets really personal. Well, you know, Paul recognized and realized his need for other people, his need for the body of Christ. And I appreciate that we see someone like Paul writing that down because I think more than ever we need to understand the first part of this book is very doctrinal in its teaching and approach the second half is very behavioral and I've, I've broke those two down into frameworks that I can kind of understand two different roads the first one is the Romans road how many of you are familiar with the Romans road 
All right. Well, if you really want it, here's all those checkpoints on the Romans road, okay? And if you don't want to write all of that down, you can get those slides online, okay? But it's smooth. It's crystal clear. When we travel the Romans road, it's easy enough for a child to understand it. We use the Romans road with with children in Awana. It's great. Because it shows us how we can have a relationship with Christ. It's well-paved and, and it's inviting. How many of you, this is an inviting road. My goodness, you could fall asleep on it, wake up two hours later and be okay. It's comfortable. No potholes. This picture wasn't taken in parachute. But as, as we go through the Romans road, think about the journey that, that we go through on this. Paul begins with all of us sin. That's, that's the bad news, okay? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. He declares that no one is innocent. All of us sitting in this room were condemned. None of us innocent, Romans 3, 12. All have turned aside. Together we have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then he goes on to Romans 6, 23, which was shared this morning in the baptism, and that's the consequence of sin. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. So there's a consequence, and we go right into that gift. Look at the gift. It's life. And in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. When you read that, replace it with me. He demonstrates his own love towards me. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we got our act together and our life together, he finally died for us. No, when we were still sinners. And then there's the understanding of our sinfulness and our need to confess. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He reiterates it again in chapter 10, 13. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you noticing it's not you? It's not me. It's him. It's Jesus Christ. We see salvation depicted beautifully in Romans 5, 1 through 6. Therefore, having been justified by faith, there it is, justification. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Oh, what a place to stand in his grace. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Not only in this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that our tribulation brings about perseverance. Listen to this. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Oh, this is a hope that will not let you down. It doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We are assured stand in our standing. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation. You and I stood condemned. Jesus talked about that in John 3. 
But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful standing. And we're on this road. It's wonderful. It's exciting. And we're strengthened. You go on a road like this, and this is an amazing road trip. Look at what he says, and finally in, in Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Paul is trying to get it through our hearts and our minds that there's nothing. And he lists everything, and he goes, if I miss something, there is nothing that's been created that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I get excited about this. I do. Because those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have understood the message of this, and it's simple, those like Mike Sawyer understood this, and he had a hope. The family, as they grieve, has a hope. You and I have a hope because of what is so crystal clear on this road. And God makes sure that it's simple, it's clear. Why? Because he desires that all would believe. If you are here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not realized your sin, your need for a Savior, I plead with you today, let that be that day. It's not difficult. Christ paved the way for you and I to have a relationship with him. He did the work of salvation. And coming to him may be easy, but the work he did was anything but easy. And it came at a great cost. Through the shed blood of the only Son of God. But as Paul states in Romans... He resurrected. And that gift was paid for. Grace was given, received by faith. Chapters 1 through 11, we, we have that Romans road. But then Paul takes us off road. Nate, this one's for you. We go off road in, in chapters 12 through 16. How many of you would have been willing to go on that first road? Oh, yeah. It, it, as my son discovered, it's boring. It's easy, but it's boring. And oh, how sad it is, the Christian that lives a boring life. Some of you look at that road and you're like, yeah, bring it on. Some of you look at that road and you go, you don't know what I drive. I'm not ready for that. Some of you, that, that road stirs an anxiousness. It looks difficult. You know why? Because it is. The doctrine that Paul teaches in Romans demands 
a behavior. Demands a response from the believer. Oh, what a shame it is when the believer lives a boring life. This is where the rubber meets the rock. It's hard, it's uncertain, it's rough, and it's difficult. But Christian, church, I want to challenge you, as Paul does in this section, to take your faith off-road. To take on the difficult. I love, in chapter 12, we are told that we are to renew our thinking to be challenged in our thinking. He talks about the body of Christ. You know what's beautiful is you're not doing this alone. There's a whole caravan. There's guys that are going to get out and be spotters for you. There's guys that are going to cheer you on. There's guys that are going to winch you up if you need, okay? You're not doing this alone. We're living, we're working, we're engaging with each other. Some of you are like, you know, I'm kind of more of a hermit. Well, the body of Christ isn't called to be that. He instructs us on how to minister with each other, our our Christian duties. How to love our enemies and bless them. It says, be at peace with all men if possible. I, I love when people say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? I take them to Romans chapter 12 and I say, you know, begin with this chapter. Once you master that, that's a good beginning. It's a good start. Because we jump into chapter 13, where Paul begins to instruct us on submitting to authorities, submitting to the governing authorities. And I know that makes some of you bristle. But God instructs that we are to learn to be at peace with them. We are to learn that God places leaders in authority. And for some of you, that's difficult. Well, that's all right. I didn't write it. God did. He said it. I believe it. And he challenges us to submit in love and obedience. He challenges the believer to put off the deeds of darkness and put on light. Chapter 14, I love chapter 14, because by the time you get through chapter 12 and chapter 13, you're like, ah, no more. And chapter 14 come, and God prescribes why we do these things. Tells us why. Not out of obligation. Not to be a burden, or do it because of law but because of our heart for the Lord. We bow in a reverence to God and God alone. There's a difficult subject of of Christian liberties in chapter 14 that one needs to grapple with. And understand that you stand before God and God alone. Paul illustrates with the days of worship in, in this chapter, he, he deals with foods that are eaten, uh, addressing the issues between Jew and Gentile, the struggles they were having as both of them fellowshiped in the same body of believers. 
And Paul deals with those. Rather than look down at those who are weaker or struggling, you and I are called to come alongside and help them, to build them up, to walk alongside. And here's the hard part. You and I are to live in such a way that we don't become that stumbling block. I am to live in such a way that I am not a stumbling block to you. You are to live that you are not a stumbling block to a weaker brother or sister in Christ. The call to come alongside and build up. Chapter 15 looks at why we serve each other. That we boast in nothing of ourselves because, you know, as we start to really handle chapter 12 and chapter 13, you know what can happen? Oh, people are really good about becoming really prideful. Look at me. I've mastered it. I'm good. Paul says, no, 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 no. Look at what he says in in chapter 15, verse 17. He says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found no reason for boasting in things. I have found, sorry, let me reread that. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason, not no reason, reason, to boast in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Our lives point to Jesus Christ. What we do points to what he is doing, not what we're doing. What he is doing. In chapter 16, I love this chapter, shows how the Christian walk, ministry, life, cannot be done alone we're not called to be lone rangers paul lists out all these people that he cares about who are helping him encouraging him praying and and sending their prayers there's greetings there's praises and thanks church when we come together that should be depicted in our fellowship with one another our prayer our fellowship our building up the great apostle paul needed others you and i do too And Paul closes by praising his God. You know, when we read these letters, it should cause us to think. Think on these things that have been given to us, written down for our hearing, the very words of God. So in closing, here's what I think we need to think on from this letter. First of all, we as believers need to read Romans. You need to read Romans. And as you do, allow yourself to be captivated, enamored, awestruck by His grace. Seeing yourself in light of a holy, righteous God. Be enamored with His grace. We need to be challenged to receive His righteousness in faith. Challenge others to receive it in faith. Not works, but faith. We're called not only to receive it by faith, but to live by faith. That living out 
of our, our salvation, that sanctification process. You know what that's called? That's called maturity. Interestingly, I heard a great definition of maturity a couple weeks ago by a young man, 16 years old. His name's Noah Farmer. He defined our maturity this way, knowing you are not perfect, but you keep striving to be. Maturity. I think that's a pretty good definition, don't you? Knowing that you and I aren't perfect, but we strive, we continue to strive to be. That sanctification work of God working through us. I pray. I pray this morning as you consider that book of Romans, that letter, as you read it, that you and I as saints in Parachute, Colorado, some 2,000 years later, will be able to reiterate the words that Paul himself declared, that you and I are not ashamed of the gospel and recognize that it holds the power of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that if there's any here this morning that need to understand that that Romans road, God, the work that you have done God, I pray that today would be that day. God, for many of us, we have traveled that road and we have found ourselves comfortable on that road. I pray, Lord, that you would would take us off-road. We would be willing, God, that we would be challenged to take on living as you call us to live, that we would begin to be the light and salt. That when others look at us, we would be different. Oh God, give us a boldness and a confidence in you as we do. I pray that as we do, your church would go places that we could only dream about because of what you are doing. God, that you would use the men and women here, your church, your body, to do amazing things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may we be willing to step off the paved road and live for you. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.